0: Good morning, everyone. Well, we always have a lot to deal with here in New York City, and last night we had a challenge. Our emergency management team uh, was active from the beginning once we saw there was an issue with Con Ed that later became an issue with the subways. Uh, We are right now working with the state, working with Con Ed, working with the MTA to determine exactly what happened. It is not clear yet. A full investigation is going on. Uh, our teams have all been working together since uh, the time of this incident last night and we've been coordinating closely with the MTA leadership uh, with the governor and her team. I spoke to the governor in detail this morning about the situation. Look, the good news is that we had a temporary situation, but we need to know more about it. We need to understand how this could happen, and how to make sure it does not happen again. Uh, there were not uh, thankfully extensive home outages, but at the same time a lot of subway riders were really inconvenienced and put into a really tough situation and thank god everyone came out okay there were no injuries Uh, i want to really thank the men and women of the nypd and the fdny who went to rescue those subway riders did an extraordinary job we should never take this for granted Uh, wherever you are in new york city in a time of trouble uh, the very best professionals the very best first responders there to help so they made sure that everyone got out safely but again, we've got to figure out why this happened and make sure it does not happen again. We're working closely with the MTA. As I think everyone knows, the subways are back up and running. There are certainly still delays. Uh, but thank God the situation was contained, and uh, subway service is coming back uh, fully now. Now, on another front, uh, far away, but a place that we feel close to here in New York City, a horrible hurricane hitting New Orleans, hitting Louisiana. And uh, the federal government asked New York City to help to address the impact of Hurricane Ida. Uh, So we have sent an urban search and rescue team, New York Task Force One, to Baton Rouge to help the people of Louisiana who are going through so much right now. It's almost unbelievable how many crises they have had to deal with one after another. Katrina to COVID, and now this. We've deployed 83 members of the FDNY and NYPD. And they will be arriving in Baton Rouge tonight with four water rescue boats with hazmat equipment, rescue equipment for collapsed buildings, horrible situation down there. Uh, We always want to help those in need. We always want to help cities that have been through a lot like we have been through and our fellow Americans everywhere. And everyone knows NYPD, FDNY have the best professionals in the entire country. We're getting them out there to help the people of Louisiana okay now let's go to this weekend before all of these challenges and and i want to accent the positive here because a lot of good was going on this weekend in new york city and it was really striking first of all no matter what's thrown at us new york city keeps coming back and we had great evidence of that on saturday night the apollo open full with people thrilled to be there celebrating the incredible history of the apollo theater celebrating the comeback in new york city extraordinary musicians just about every genre represented it was beautiful there was jazz there was r&b there was latin you name it uh, amazing concert and a joyful moment you could feel the relief fully vaccinated crowd enjoying this moment together in safety uh the freedom that comes with being fully vaccinated but also uh, a new york city icon the apollo back in action a message to new yorkers and the people all over the country all over the world that new york city is back So that was really amazing, and also in Harlem uh, on Saturday, a great moment, part of our Weekend of Faith in which houses of worship all over New York City participated in vaccination drives, focused in particular on kids going back to school. Tremendously successful weekend. People of all faiths working together. I joined with an amazing group of people from First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem. They put together a huge community fair outdoors giving people health information, making sure people are vaccinated, a lot of other great work going on there. Uh, really, really wonderful to see the faith community doing so much to help make sure that people are vaccinated. A few days ago, we had Cardinal Dolan and uh, Pastor A.R. Bernard on this program, and they talked about the vaccine from their perspective. And they said it was an important message. They wanted all of their parishioners to hear that the vaccine is a gift from God. Uh, Everyone wonders, how do we get through a crisis like this? Look at this vaccine that was created in record time that has had so much of a positive impact that has saved so many lives. Our faith community is doing an amazing job spreading the word and helping to get get people vaccinated. And that's really, really helping. Now, we can see the impact of vaccination in the city, we can see how different reality is in New York City because so many people are vaccinated compared to unfortunately other places where there's a much lower number of people vaccinated. We can see the impact it's having on recovery, but we also know uh, that the pandemic is still with us and, and we have to put everything we've got into putting the COVID era behind us, but it's gonna take more people getting vaccinated, more work. And so in the meantime, a number of wonderful community organizations are making decisions how to handle the big events that they would have put on this year and many great organizations that we honor and love in this city uh, have made the decision to postpone one more time till next year their events we're going to talk about that today the juve celebration uh, happens the early morning hours going into labor day every year an amazing powerful celebration of heritage Um, One that is so important to so many New Yorkers, but that this year cannot happen the way it did pre-pandemic, has been postponed again until 2022. But the Juve celebration will be back in 2022, full strength, like so many other things in this city. Never easy uh, to uh, decide that such a cherished event needs to be postponed again. It's never easy but i want to thank all the community leaders and the elected officials the clergy everyone who came together and decided this was the right thing to do to focus on the health and safety of the community to make sure one more time when we take that extra step to get through covid together uh, and then get ready for better times ahead i want you to hear from someone who has kept the juve tradition alive so powerfully so effectively has made such an impact for this city uh, and she's going to tell you why this decision is made but also Give you a flavor of what this means to people that Juve be preserved. Uh, how important it is! It comes back strong next year. My ple- pleasure, <laughs> pleasure to introduce the president of Juve City International, Yvette Rennie.
1: Good morning, Mr. Mayor, and thank you very much. And we also send condolences to all our culture lovers who we lost this year. To their families, we are saddened for what happened. I would like to take this opportunity to thank many people to having us where we are today. Especially you, Mr. Mayor. You have worked tirelessly with us to make sure that we are in a safe place. To make sure that the narrative of Juve is in a positive light. I would like to thank your staff. They were stellar champion, especially one of your past staff, Mr. Harold Miller. He worked with us for years to make sure we did everything right. Mr. Eric Cumberbatch, and also all those, the Lay Your Guns Dung, GMAC, and all these people who have been there with us. I also take this opportunity to thank the borough president here, Eric Adams, for holding us together to keeping meetings weekly at his office and bringing us all and Pastor Montrose and all the clergies who have been there praying with us and working with us. Also, the elective officials, Matthew Eugene, Congressman, Congresswoman, Congresswoman Clark, but right? The Congresswoman Combo um, and and Samuel, they have worked very closely with us. As keepers of this beautiful culture, we were hoping to host our event this year. But the cons had overweighed the pros. And we look at the bigger picture of the health, of the safety of our people, and we also follow the CDC and your guidelines, and we have chosen to cancel again this year. Despite all these limitations that we have been going through, we have put several things in place. We had workshops that will help our young people how to succeed in life. We also honored all our essential workers, nurses, doctors, CNAs, the MTA workers, and all those who have been on the forefront to make Labor Day safe, to make Juve safe, to make our city safe. And one of the last things that we have decided to do was to create a tour guide where we are teaching our young people how to be tour guides throughout the cultural season because that is so needed. And our last piece of our tour is that we have just found about African burial ground and Bedford Avenue and Church Avenue, and that's where we will end up with our tour. It has been a trying two years for us. We are saddened that we are going to cancel another year. But this gave us time to mobilize our organizations, to make sure that each and every one of them understand what happened and why we are doing this. At the same time, we know our culture is alive. And the most responsible thing that we did for our community was canceling our culture. As my mentor, the late father of the Labor Day, Mr. Honorable Carlos L'Alzheimer will say we will be coming back bigger and better in 2022. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, for your help.
0: Thank you so much, Yvette. And that's a beautiful message. Of course, the Juvet celebration will come back in 2022 and we're gonna all work together to make it wonderful. But this year, the focus on health and safety, the focus on moving New York City out of the COVID era once and for all. Now, this is, of course, not the only major celebration affected by the pandemic, and I wanna talk now about one of the most beloved events and the biggest event every year in this city, West Indian American Day, the the beautiful parade on Eastern Parkway. Carnival Association, which has done such extraordinary work for years uh, to make it a a memorable, amazing event, an event that literally people come from all over the world to. Uh, They have made the decision, again, that this is not the year for a big event. So they've come up with a new approach. And the theme this year is the rebirth of New York Carnival 2021. And what has been created is a three-day festival of virtual and smaller in-person events beginning this Thursday. It is a smart approach. It is a healthy approach. I really wanna thank everyone involved, again, with the close cooperation of elected officials, clergy, community leaders. This is never easy for people to postpone a cherished tradition, but it's the right thing to do. Uh, And and a great alternative has been put together that will link us from this year to next year when we can bring everything back. I want you to hear more about this decision uh, from someone who's done such important work both to celebrate culture and to keep people safe. From the West Indian American Day Carnival Association, my pleasure to introduce Michelle Gibbs.
2: Thank you, Mayor, appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. My name is Michelle Gibbs. I am the chair of the West Indian American Day Carnival Association. At this moment, I'd like to acknowledge our board of directors, members, and our volunteers. As you know, this year we are celebrating the rebirth of Carnival, New York Carnival. I know we're all disheartened by this, but unfortunately our parade on Eastern Parkway is canceled. Um, But that doesn't say that Carnival is not going to continue. In our spirit, we are going to host several events behind the Brooklyn Museum starting this Thursday, live and direct this Thursday through this Monday behind the Brooklyn Museum. I just want to say thank you to all the elected officials for your support throughout this whole entire year, helping us to put these plans in place. And also you to, to you, Mayor, we appreciate your, your effort and your consultant in providing us the guidance to making sure that the city is safe. Again, thank you.
0: Thank you, and Michelle, Again, I know this wasn't easy. No, uh, I, not I really wasn't. want to emphasize that to everyone watching. Um, these are amazing, beautiful events. that Take a whole year of planning. It's yes,
2: it does. Yes. Just
0: like what they say with the Macy's Parade, they start the planning for the next one the next day, the same, same way. Yes, the beautiful parade we see on Eastern Parkway every Labor Day. Um, a lot to have to postpone, but the right thing to do. So Michelle, to you and your whole team and all your colleagues, thank you. You did the right thing. You did the smart thing and the safe thing for the thank people so of Brooklyn much. and all of New York City.
2: Yes, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Now, I want to hear uh, from two of the elected officials who have played a key role in determining the right way to proceed, and both of them are leaders, strong leaders who focus on the well-being of the people and understood how important it was to get this right. Uh, first of all, a leader both in Albany and New York City, and the Democratic leader of the Borough of Brooklyn, and also, she celebrated her wedding reception last night, which was, or yesterday afternoon, which was beautiful, at the fabulous River Cafe. My pleasure to introduce Assemblymember Rodney Bishop Ermeline. Thank
3: you so much. I am, um, uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Mayor. Uh, thank you all, and I want to thank the members of Juve and um, uh, Wiatika, and I see Councilmember Lori Kumbo and the whole staff of of New York City. Thank you so much for having this press conference to let everyone know that it is certainly important that um, we continue to celebrate our culture, um, the festivity of what it means to be Caribbean, and and, um, to be safe, first and foremost, to be safe. Uh, We understand uh, that right now, the city is still in a state of uh, emergency. We understand that we are combating the Delta variant. We understand that we still have a number of people in our communities that are not vaccinated. And so in order to keep our communities safe and sound and um, just be prepared for another pandemic that uh, may hit us hard again, we want to make sure that we take preventative measures and find alternative ways to celebrate our culture um, and what it means uh, to be Caribbean. I myself am a um, Caribbean American of Haitian descent, and I am really um, proud and thankful for all the work that the mayor has done, as well as all the work that our elected officials, such as Majority Leader Laurie Cumbo, um, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, and uh, the leaders of Wiatica and Juve for communicating to the community and letting them know why it's important that we need to uh, celebrate safely and find alternative ways and so we're going to continue to celebrate and we look forward to um, we uh, celebration that will be a small version and virtual um, uh, option and we look forward to the entire new york city in participating from afar so we want to thank the city for keeping us safe first and foremost in recognizing the contribution of the American, uh, of the Caribbean Americans uh, throughout New York City.
0: Thank you so much, Mr. Thank you. Thank you very much, Assemblymember. And again, I know you and all the other elected officials really worked closely with the event organizers to determine the right course of action. And it was important for the folks who do the work to get the support of the elected officials to know the whole community was behind these important decisions. I want you, everyone now to hear from another elected official who has a strong, clear voice, is very, very proud of her heritage, and stands up for it, and has been a a leading advocate for promoting uh, culture of the African diaspora. She is also the majority leader of the New York City Council, Council Councilmember Lori Cumbo.
4: Good morning. I am so happy to be here once again with you, Mayor de Blasio, and I am. Um, I want to celebrate again our very strong and powerful leader, Ronis Bichotte. Uh I apologize that I was not able to be there yesterday. My son had to go to a Mickey Mouse birthday party prior to and had a meltdown, and so thereby I had a meltdown and was not able to... Um, attend, but I saw the photos and it was beautiful, and I wish you and Edu all the happiness that this world has to offer, and I know that your mom is smiling down and so happy um, with the way that your life is unfolding in such a beautiful way. Uh, I too want to just join in. As you can see, I am ready for Labor Day weekend. I am excited about the carnival. Um, it's going to be a different kind of carnival with virtual uh as well as in-person events but it's so important as mayor de blasio said we've got to make sure that we do this the right way and that we do it safely and it's important that we recognize that 2022 will be the year that we are going to come back as a city stronger and more safely than ever before so i I just want to urge because i know the type of people that are watching this program right now are more so going to be the parents the grandparents, the adults. We don't quite have all of the the swag that maybe some of our younger people may want that tune in, that we would want to tune in every morning. So we're really appealing to you because um, there's a year of preparation that takes place for both Juve as well as the West Indian American Day Carnival Association. And that year of preparation to have a safe, and beautiful and amazing experience has not happened. So we are strongly encouraging people not to try to have their own mini carnivals or their own mini events or try to reproduce carnival or juve in your own way. It's important that you recognize that the best way to celebrate this year is to celebrate with your family and your friends, small gatherings, you know, Festivals like this usually bring in people from all over the world, and we recognize that people from all over the world will be coming, but not everybody's vaccinated. Not everybody has taken the proper precautions, and we want to protect our elders and as well as our young people who are going to be going back to school very soon. Um, it's critical that we do this as safely as possible. So. Staying home this year, keeping it local, not trying to recreate juve on your block or in your community, not trying to recreate the Labor Day Parade. We have to make sure that we do this safely and together. And for all of you out there, if you are interested in celebrating online, dress up. Put your attire on, celebrate big, turn the music on, have a good time, just like I'm doing in my house right now. I'm excited, I'm ready. But visit their website at www.wiadcacarnival.org. So please make sure you visit wiadcacarnival.org. So I thank you all so much. It's always a pleasure to be on your show, Mayor de Blasio. And in four months, we need to take this on the road. I told you that before.
0: So I love it.
4: Unless, I love you've got it. Lined, unless you've got something lined up, we need to get this done.
0: I like I like what you're saying, Lori. And Lori, I really think your message is perfect <laughs> today, and your message is powerful, and I appreciate it. But I, I wanted you to start with, oh, hello there. I just threw on something for this <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> for this moment. I love I love your outfit. And you're right, people can celebrate but also keep it safe. If we keep it safe this year, we can have a big, beautiful celebration next year. So, thank you for your That's powerful, right. positive message, Councilmember Lori Gumbo. Thank you. All right, everyone. So, it's all about safety, it is about making sure we fight COVID. That's what gets us to a recovery. And, safety equals recovery, recovery equals safety. I've said that many, many times, and obviously when we talk about public safety, uh, constant work that has to be done to protect the people of the city. We do it every year, but it's been particularly important now because it's also how we bring the city back. So early, before the summer began, we announced the Safe Summer NYC plan, and we said it was about the community, it was about cops, it was about courts, and we had to make Key moves in each of those areas, key investments, key actions uh, to turn the tide this summer. Uh, We still have more to do, obviously. And we never for a moment uh, will think that even a single crime is acceptable. But we do see some real progress. The gun arrests by the NYPD have been outstanding. Uh, Higher levels of cooperation with communities. Extraordinary work that's being done at the community level by violence interrupters. We see shootings trending down. Some real good work is happening, and the facts are proven that these efforts are having a big impact. we got a lot more to do. We know on a community level, when you invest in violence interrupters, when you invest in bringing police and community together, when you invest in summer youth employment, these things make a big difference. We know that the NYPD has made a huge impact uh, with precision policing, moving officers where they're needed most, with the gang takedowns, which you've seen a number of lately that are taking violent people off the streets and changing the reality in communities. We're really happy about what's happening at community level and what's happening with the NYPD. These are two pieces of strategy that are working in so many ways. There's more to do, but those two pieces are working. But what about the courts? Here's the area where we still have a problem. I've spoken about this a number of times. Commissioner Shea has spoken about this a number of times, and we've got to put this in perspective. Here's the NYPD making a record number of gun arrests. That's incredibly important. The most gun arrests in 25 years. And I want to give the court system credit. Uh, There has been a real focus on prosecuting gun cases, and that's been really helpful. I want to give credit where credit is due. That's been tremendously helpful. But what we still see is the court system as a whole is lagging behind everything else. It is not operating at all at the levels of 2019, pre-pandemic, even though so much of the rest of our society is coming back full strength. Now, here are some facts that tell a clear story, and this is troubling. For the first half of this year in New York City, there were 18 trial verdicts, 18. The first half of the year 2019, there were 405 trial verdicts in New York City. 405 versus 18, I am not belittling the huge challenge of COVID. I am saying that's a problem when with all that we brought to bear, vaccination and all the other health and safety measures, we were able to open our schools, everything else, the courts have only completed 18 trial verdicts in the first half of the year. That isn't good enough, obviously. And if you say, well, wait a minute, prove to me that's not happening everywhere. Let's look at the rest of New York in the rest of the state 118 verdicts. So around New York State, we've seen court systems coming back. The city is lagging behind in the very place where we have the biggest challenges that need to be addressed. So to fight violence, to fight crime, you need to address all crimes. This is something that has been established for years and years. I asked the experts at NYPD, you can't just focus on the gun offenses, you have to focus on all offenses and make sure there are consequences and make sure that people know that if they do something wrong to a fellow in New York or something will result. If the court system isn't moving, there is no consequence. It stops us from ensuring that we have every tool available to fight crime. That gives you a sense of some of the numbers, but I want you now to understand the human consequence, the human cost of our court system not functioning effectively. And I want you to feel the outrage that so many of us feel when a crime is committed and then there's no action by our court system. In a moment, you're going to hear from Natasha Christopher. And she has gone through a horrendous ordeal that no parent, no person should ever go through. Years ago, 2012, her 14-year-old son, Akhil, was shot. And Natasha had to rush to the hospital, fearing the worst, arriving, seeing, her son's life on the line, and then she lost him. And she has been waiting for years and years for justice, but it's still not here. This is one very, very painful story, but there are so many others right now in this city where the justice system has not produced an outcome, a result, anything to give any sense that justice has been served, and that's unacceptable. Natasha is a strong person, never stops her fight for justice. I want you to hear from her now.
5: Yes, good morning, man. Thank you for having me and thank you to your staff. Again, my name is Natasha Christopher and like the mayor said on June 27, 2012, my 14-year-old son, Akiel Christopher, was shot. My son will then survive for 14 days and died on his fifteenth birthday, July 10, 2012. That would change my whole life. That would just cause me to want to take action. I became, I decided that I would not sit back. I decided that I would act. I became an activist slash advocate. I advocate for families who have lost their loved ones to senseless gun violence. As the mayor said, right? Um, All of us has to work together to put an end to gun violence. Yes, we have the crisis management, but I want the mayor to also know that we have families out there also doing the work. We are doing the work. What people fail to realize that after you lose your loved one to senseless gun violence, the families are left behind. Everyone goes back to life like normal, and we are left to pick up the pieces. So we have mothers who have come together. We're now called Mothers for Safe City. And we are all mothers who have lost sons and daughters to gun violence. And we provide emotional support to families. We show up and we're also a part of OPVG, the Office to Prevent Gun Violence. We have our advisory board there with four amazing team members. I have Marie Deleuze, Miss Carolyn Dixon, Suri Suri Morris, and myself. And what we do is try to get families the answers that they are looking for. We have so many unsolved cases. And just like the mayor also said, we also have cases that are waiting to go to trial. And because of COVID, a lot of families are in pain. So we need to all work together come together, unite, we need the district attorney to work with the police department. We need the police department to work with the survivors. We cannot do this alone. We need the clergy. The clergy has been working with us. Pastor Guilford Monroe has been working with families who have been affected by gun violence. So thank God for him and the work that he does. But I just want people to know it has to be a community effort. We have to find a way to end gun violence and we must all do this together. We must not be divided anymore. We must put an end to the blood shedding our streets. Thank you, Mayor.
0: Thank you, Natasha. Natasha, you've been through so much. As a parent, my heart goes out to you, but I I always come back to the people who have the amazing inner strength and faith to turn pain into purpose, and you've done that.
2: Thank you.
5: And
0: I know you're helping other families. I know you're helping to stop the violence. Yes. And God forbid a family's going through the pain of violence, you're there for them. But we know we can't stop the violence if there's no consequence.
5: Yes, so there, there has to be consequences, right? And like, again, we need everything to go back to normal where cases can go to trial and some parents can get some type of closure. For me, again, it's been nine years, no one has ever been apprehended for my son's case. I may never get closure, but I will never stop fighting for that justice. And I want the same type of justice for my friends. All my friends, all the mothers in my support group who have case open, who have case that are supposed to be on trial, they need to get some type of closure. So we need everybody, again, working together. And again, I need people to know, don't think that families and we are we are getting up, mothers are getting up and taking their, putting their boots on the ground and doing the work. We are survivors and we are out there helping other survivors, just trying to find some
0: type of way to continue living. I really, really admire you. Thank you so much. I feel, I feel what you've been through that I admire how you've turned into so much good for other people. God bless you for that.
5: God bless you, too. Thank you.
0: Everyone, um, you've heard an incredibly powerful testimony of what it's going to take to protect people, to stop the violence, to bring back a healthy society in every way. I want you to hear now from elected official who represents part of the Bronx. In fact, part of the Bronx has been hit so hard by gun violence. And he understands that we have to show that anyone who does violence against their fellow Bronxite will have consequences. And we need a functioning court system to do that. He is a new member of the City Council, but he's already making a big impact. My pleasure to introduce Councilmember Oswald Feliz. Thank you so much, Mr. Mayor.
6: And good morning, everyone. I'm Councilmember Oswald Feliz. I am the proud representative of the 15th Council District in the Bronx. And I want to thank you, Mr. Mayor, for this very important initiative an initiative to push to reopen our courts. And the reasons are simple. We need to open our courts because that is how we're gonna promote public safety. That's how we're gonna promote accountability and justice for everyone in our city. Uh, Gun violence and violence in general has been affecting every single corner of our entire nation. Uh, We've heard about the many shootings in our city. And as our mayor mentioned, uh, we've also heard about the many arrests that have been made gun arrests are up. Uh, But what happens after an individual is arrested due to violence, such as gun violence? In many cases, the cases are getting stuck in our courts. And individuals arrested due to actions such as gun violence and the cases are getting stuck in our courts. And while the cases are stuck in our courts, uh, in many cases, some individuals are held in custody, but in other cases, some of the individuals are, are released on bail and we can only deter, only deter the carrying and use of unlawful firearms. We can only deter violence when we send an unequivocal, clear message, which is that if you engage in violence, you will be held accountable. But again, right now we're unable, just imagine us being unable to hold someone fully accountable because the cases, because the individuals are getting arrested, but the the cases are getting stuck in our courts. That has to change. We have to reopen our courts now. Uh, The time to reopen our courts is now, not tomorrow, not next year, not maybe next summer. The time to reopen our courts is now. That's how we're gonna promote justice for everyone. That's how we're gonna promote uh, accountability. That's how we're gonna deter violence. And that's how we're gonna uh, promote public safety. So I want to thank you, Mr. Mayor, for this very important initiative. i uh, proud to join you in it. Um, and hopefully we could reopen our courts uh, sooner rather than later so that we can continue to promote public safety with every possible tool that we have. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Councilmember. And that's exactly right. Every possible tool, and not someday, now. We need to move now and make a difference in people's lives. I really want to thank you for speaking out. And I know you're doing so much work for the people of your community to help people stay safe. Thank you for that. And again, thank you. Thank you, my friend. Safety, we're talking about safety in every way. We're talking about safety from gun violence, we're talking about safety from COVID. And what is remarkable is the way New Yorkers stand up for each other and do the right thing time and time again. We always hear the stories when someone has done something bad, but let's talk about the people who have done something good, the many, many New Yorkers who have gone out there and gotten vaccinated. These numbers are staggering. Here is the latest in terms of vaccination levels in New York City, the doses from day one, 10,657,351 doses from day one. And just to give you some of the other facts, because they're so striking, 5.4 million New Yorkers who have received at least one dose, that's 65% of total population. Uh, 5.1 million adults, almost 77% now of all New York City adults have received at least one dose. That's a beautiful figure. Young people, the 12 to 17-year-olds, the newest group that could be vaccinated, over 318,000, 61% plus Of that group of young people now having gotten at least one dose new yorkers are voting with their feet new yorkers are making the decision to stay safe and keep each other safe and this amazing figure over 10.6 million doses again thank you to all the vaccinators to test and trace to all the good people out there i saw you this weekend Uh, i saw you on friday in staten island i saw you saturday in harlem you guys are doing amazing amazing work second indicator Daily number of people admitted to New York City hospitals for suspected COVID 19. Today's report 108 patients with a 32.79% confirmed positivity level. Hospitalization rate 1.34 per 100,000. And number three new reported cases on a seven day average. Today's report 1,585 cases. I'm going to say a few words in Spanish, and I want to go back to public safety and the importance of getting our courts fully open. Nuestro trabajo comunitario está funcionando. Nuestros policías están controlando los tiroteos. Pero, ¿dónde está la justicia para las personas que han perdido a sus seres queridos por la violencia armada? Y la justicia para Natasha Christopher, quien perdió a su hijo aquel. La persona que mató a aquel debe rendir cuentas. Natasha merece justicia. Necesitamos que el sistema judicial haga su trabajo. With that, let's turn to our colleagues in the media. And please let me know the name and outlet of each journalist.
7: We will now begin our Q&A. As a reminder, we are joined by Emergency Management Commissioner John Scrivani. Do it Commissioner Jesse Tisch Health Commissioner Dr. Dave Choksi, and dr. Varma senior advisor for Public health our first question for today goes to Andrea from CBS New York
8: good morning to everyone on the
7: call um, can
8: you hear me okay
0: yeah Andrea how are you doing today
8: okay Great, thank you. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I wanted to talk about the postponement of the West Indian Day Parade in Jouvet. Um, How do you explain that decision when you have events like the U.S. Open that until just a few days ago after public pressure was being organized as a maskless event without proof of a negative COVID test or vaccinations? You know, were the demographics of the participants in relation to vaccine uptake taken into consideration?
0: Uh, Andrea, thank you for the question. I think every event is its own reality. Um, Big events out in communities are one thing. Events that we're talking about could attract hundreds of thousands of people at a given moment, that's one thing. Uh, Controlled event in a stadium is another thing. But the bottom line is the same. We need people to be safe Uh, with events indoors period, people have to be vaccinated, period. There's no no gray in that. Uh, With outdoor events, you have other options, but still each event organizer, each organization has to decide what they think is safe. So this is a decision these organizations made. I commend them for it, but they made the decision this was what was safe and healthy for their communities. Go ahead, Andre. Okay. my
8: second question is pertaining to the court's reopening. Um, Murder cases just in general often take a long time to go through the court system anyway. So what would be different about the murder rate if the courts were at capacity, at the capacity which you desire, and how would the current reality be different? Break that down for us.
0: Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, One of the things, and you'll be hearing, we're going to be speaking later in the week about the overall situation with public safety with Commissioner Shea, and I know he'll be speaking to this. You need consequences and that has to pervade the entire uh, justice system. Whether it is something as horrible as a murder or gun violence or whether it's other offenses, you need a culture of consequences. There needs to be justice, there needs to be fairness. Um, We need to make sure the system works in a way that is not discriminatory, but we need consequences. That's the whole concept of the criminal justice system. If there are no trials, there are no consequences. So again, Andrea, what we're seeing is in the area of gun violence, we've seen some real improvement in the court system with those trials moving. But we are not seeing uh, trials moving in a whole host of other offenses, with a whole host of other offenses. We're not seeing the court system at full strength. And this is what's strange to me. We're planning in just a few weeks to bring back our schools full strength. Uh, We have a lot of businesses back at full strength. Uh, In the areas that we have our new mandates for, uh, indoor dining, entertainment, they're back full strength. Why is the court system the outlier? And it can't go on like this. We have offered literally since long ago last year, whatever physical space, whatever support they need with vaccination, whatever it may be. And we're still not getting a satisfactory outcome. We need our criminal justice system fully operational to protect New Yorkers, period. Anything less than that is unacceptable.
7: Our next question goes to Juan Manuel at New York One.
0: Good morning, Mr. Mayor. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Juan Manuel?
9: Very good. Thank you. Just as a follow up. Uh, are you in conversations with the Office of Court Administration? Uh, wh- what is is—is there any negotiation
0: happening? Is there any uh, conversation uh, beyond you uh, in your daily news conference asking for the courts to reopen? Uh, Juan Manuel, 100% now for a year or more, there have been ongoing conversations led by First Deputy Mayor Dean Fulehan, by um, Marcos Soler, the head of the Mayor's Office uh, for Criminal Justice, uh, constantly offering any and all help, as I've said, vaccination help, physical space, whatever it may be. Uh, This has been a nonstop effort that still hasn't yielded what we need. And there's a lot of frustration at the NYPD. Uh, we're gonna have happily have you speak to leaders in NYPD to hear their perspective as well. But it's an unacceptable state of affairs. It's something that must be resolved quickly. And I, we've tried all the right dialogue and private conversations, and we have not seen the progress we need. And as you know, with anything Uh, Outside the purview of the city of New York, I've said many times, we always try to resolve things privately. When it doesn't work, it's our obligation to say it out loud to get action on behalf of the people. Go ahead, Juan Manuel. And in terms of the uh, Con Ed issue uh, last night, uh, what's the city doing to improve its power grid and to adapt it to the aggressive environmental goals needed to combat uh, the current climate emergency? Yeah, we are, for, and, and you may remember back right before uh, COVID, we spoke about this, the uh, state of the city at the beginning of 2020 and then amplified again in the state of the city this year. We have a major effort underway, working cooperatively with state agencies to bring in uh, a lot more renewable uh, energy to New York City and to improve the transmission grid. Uh, we're ready, willing, and able to make a major investment in that effort. Uh, for the good of the city and the state. Um, we need that for our future. We need that for, to fight climate change. We need that to make our electricity system more reliable. Uh, this is a big, big part of the mission going forward. If we're going to protect people, the biggest challenge of all is climate change. And converting uh, to renewable energy to the maximum extent possible is necessary. So we have a a major investment we're working on right now with state agencies to achieve that.
7: Our next question goes to James Ford from PIX11.
0: And good morning, everyone. Happy New Week. Happy New Week. James, I've never heard that one before. Happy New Week. (laughs) I think we should all start using that. I
4: know.
0: Happy New Week.
10: I I encourage it. I encourage it highly. I do it every week. Um, Well, on to our questions. Uh, I think this is really for you and for any of the medical professionals on the call. Um, New York City's hospitalization, infection, and death rates remain low, uh, certainly relative to the rest of the country, which continues to see a spike, a a significant rise in these areas. That having been said, though, we are seeing in certain parts of the city uh, still elevated levels of infection uh apparently in areas that have lower rates of vaccination and mask use can you elaborate more on that situation and what the city's trying to do to change it
0: james such an important question i thank you for it um from day one we have been fighting the disparities that have come up from COVID. they've always been there in a lot of ways COVID made it so vivid and there were new disparities in the context of COVID, we had to fight. And it's painful that the history bears down on us so intensely and and that it's been hard to get people, in many cases, to feel comfortable with the thing that would help them the most, which is vaccination. So what we determined to do was to bring the vaccination effort to the grassroots, and we've seen a big impact. Uh, Getting Houses of Worship involved, as we did with the Weekend of Faith, Um, getting uh, community organizations involved. Uh, I'll turn to uh, Dr. Choksi in a moment, because this is a matter he is passionate on, and and he has been one of the leaders in making sure this effort was taken to the people. But just look at what's happened with the Test and Trace Corps, hired uh, largely from the communities most affected uh, by COVID. Um, All of these pieces have led to big changes on the ground. One of the statistics I gave you uh, last week was we saw two weeks in a row uh, in the beginning of August where we had over 100,000 new vaccinations each week. Uh, We hadn't seen that since the beginning of June. And 60% of those vaccinations were for people of African descent and Latinos. And that was a crucial sign that all of these new approaches, the grassroots, and the incentives and the mandates are having an impact. I think you're gonna see a lot more of that. I think you're gonna see a lot more impact in the communities that need vaccination the most. Dr. Choksi.
9: Thank you so much, sir. I wanna start by thanking you for, for your leadership and commitment to equity as a core pillar of our vaccination effort. Um, I think it, it was highlighted um, in, in events uh, like those from the Weekend of Faith uh, as well as everything that we did around um, City Hall and your borough in Staten Island last week. And James, you're exactly right. When we look at the data, uh, in almost all cases, uh, the, the parts of New York City that continue to have the greatest burden of COVID-19 disease are the places where we see lower vaccination rates. Um, but we obviously have a solution. We have an approach that can work for that. The key principle, as the mayor said, is to meet people where they are. Um, That involves a lot of what the city is doing in terms of bringing vaccine uh, to the places where people are already frequenting, uh, whether it's at events or are bringing the vaccine into people's homes. Our in-home vaccination program continues to operate strongly, um, as well as partnering with community-based organizations, the trusted messengers who have been living in and serving uh, the very neighborhoods that we need to reach for decades. Um, And the city empowering those places uh, by giving them funding, by making sure that they have access to the vaccine, uh, giving them the science-based information that we need to combat misinformation. Uh, And so those are all of the strategies that we're bringing to bear. And we have to continue to think about this as an all hands on deck moment in the places where vaccination rates are lagging because we can prevent further suffering and save more lives. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. James, go ahead. Thank you
10: both. Uh, So back to uh, uh, trials and court activity. Recently, a coalition of public sector attorneys, including Legal Aid, Brooklyn Defenders and others, has said the courts need to more strongly support covid protocols that it says aren't taking place including masking air filtering vaccinations by court personnel uh, and ensuring that attorneys and clients aren't put into uh, unventilated interview rooms together can you respond to those specific requests that these attorneys who are in court every day have made
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't run the court system. Obviously, it's a state function, but I can, so I can't speak to, you know, the decisions that the leadership has made, but I can speak to the broader point. So let's think about it, James. What is our mission here? Our mission is to keep New Yorkers safe and to address any crime that happens and stop crime from happening and from afflicting our communities. That's not optional. That's not something that can wait forever. Uh, just like we said with our schools, we had to educate our children. We opened our schools last year, we said no matter what, we had to make education available for the kids ready then. This year we said we had to be open full strength. Then it's up to us to go and do all the things we have to do to make that happen. So we put the gold standard of health and safety measures in place, and then on top of that decided to vaccinate all the adults who work in our schools. These are doable things. The court system has had a year and a half to figure it out, and the fact that they're not on full strength now is absolutely unacceptable. So, you know, the attorneys can raise concerns. That's valid. My answer is, The court system has to come up with the very best answers in each case, but the one thing that's not allowable is to not have trials and not have justice. So again, there's something backwards here. If folks raising valid complaints are suggesting don't do anything, well, that's just wrong. Raise the complaints, address them the same way we did with our schools and so many other areas, and keep moving forward. But we we can't have a safe city without a fully functioning court system, period.
7: Our next question goes to Juliet from 1010 Wins.
4: Hey, good morning, Mr. Mayor and everyone on the call. So I did want to follow up on the court question. When you spoke with Governor Hochul, did you bring up the bail reform issue and uh, asking her to do something about it? And why do you think nothing is being done about it, period?
0: Uh, Juliet, uh, let me emphasize i want to speak to your question for sure but i want to make very clear the court system not functioning is having a bigger impact uh, than almost any other factor right now Uh, and this is what the nypd is telling us that the absence of those consequences for a whole variety of crimes is undermining public safety i want to go over this number again in the first half of 2021 so up to the end of june 18 trial verdicts in a city of 8.8 million people. 18, 1-8 eight trial verdicts. That's all that the court system produced in the first half of 2021. Compare that to the first half of 2019, 405 verdicts. This is not acceptable, period. It's not even close. So this has to be addressed. Uh, when the governor and I spoke, we spoke first and foremost, of course, about fighting COVID and, and fostering the recovery in New York City. We did talk about some of the potential upcoming actions in Albany, like uh, the parole reform bill, which is very important and would do so much good for addressing public safety and justice in this city. Um, That's where we have focused. But I want to tell you, uh, actions on bail, that's going to take the whole legislature coming back and addressing it. But getting the court system up and running is something the Office of Court Administration could be doing right now. And we will help them in any way they need. We've said it a thousand times. Go ahead, Juliet.
4: Okay, thank you. Uh, regarding the outage last night, it seemed everybody in the city saw
8: their lights flicker. Do you know if this was related to the incident at the
4: Con Ed Plan in Long Island City? And also, what do you say to New Yorkers who self evacuated from the subway trains last night?
0: Uh, you know, Juliet, you always have to admire the do it yourself attitude of New Yorkers, uh, truly. But I would say something very, very uh, clear and strong never self evacuate from a subway train. It's dangerous. Uh, the th- if the third rail is not off, you're putting your life in danger. And you can rest assured, God forbid you're ever on a subway car uh, that is stuck between stations, you can rest assured that help is coming. Uh, FDNY, NYPD have a long history of getting people out safely. Wait for the professionals to come and be safe. Um, so again, I understand why people were so, felt so urgently the need to get out. And I, I do feel for them. But it's dangerous. And I just want to always urge people, wait for the pros to come who can really make sure you're safe to the power surge we saw last night. It's a great question, Juliet. That's why an investigation's underway. I spoke to Governor Hochul this morning. We've got to understand what happened here. This was a strange series of events to say the least. We don't know how they all interconnect, but we've got to know. We need Con Ed to come clean with everything that happened. Uh, We need MTA to explain everything that happened over there. We don't know how much of this was Con Ed, how much of this was MTA. We don't know how they connect, and we need these answers, and we need it to be very transparent.
7: Our next question goes to Julia from The Post. Hey, Mr. Mayor, how you doing?
0: Good, Julia. How you been?
7: Um, good. Uh, a couple of us um, are puzzling over though, this, this issue with the courts um, and the lack of verdicts. Can you be more specific about these lower-level um, cases that you're saying aren't going to trial and how you think that's having an impact on, on the safety issue in the city? And, and do you have any more data to kind of explain what you think is going on?
0: We will get you plenty. I'll have uh, Marcos Soler, who runs my criminal justice office, get you all the facts. Uh, they're quite striking. Uh, beyond the gun cases, and again, I have commended and thanked the court system for focusing on the gun cases. That's where we have a profound need, and we've seen real progress. But for a host of other serious crimes, we're not seeing the same focus, we're not seeing the same outcomes. And Julia, the way to say it, so we'll get you the facts category by category, but that big number, 18 verdicts in the first half of this year versus 405 in the first half of 2019 I think that speaks volumes, will get you the breakout. But here's what I want to say as a matter of sort of philosophy and strategy. I believe in consequences. I'm a progressive and I believe in justice, I believe in fairness, I believe in non-discrimination, but I also believe in consequences because we're, we're human beings and human beings respond to consequences. If someone has committed a crime against a fellow New Yorker and they never see a consequence or they think it's so far away that it will have no impact on their life, it gives them license. That's unacceptable. And I also think about the human cost of what the victims are going through. You heard Natasha's story. There's so many other horrible, painful stories of people waiting for justice. So we have to have consequences in real time. It was one thing in March, April, May of 2020. Everyone was trying to deal with the great unknown of COVID. That's one thing. It's now the end of August 2021, and almost every other part of our society is back full strength. Why on earth is the court system not back? It just stands to reason. There's something wrong, they need to be held accountable. And they need to fix it immediately. Go ahead, Julia.
7: Um, uh, Did did you address this um, with Governor Hochul? If so, what was the conversation like? If not, why not?
0: I have not yet, and I will. This is an issue that obviously predates her um, by a lot. Uh, We attempted numerous times uh, at all levels in Albany and dealing directly with the court system to get resolution here. Again, always with an offer of whatever we could do to help uh, buildings, physical space, vaccination help, whatever it was. And there has been some cooperation. I want to be clear about that. But we haven't seen a result. So the governor is brand new. Uh, We're going to be talking about it for sure. Um, But this is not about her. This is about her predecessor. This is about the people running the court system now. We've appealed repeatedly. For this issue to be resolved. It, I can only say it from my perspective. Uh, if this was one of my agencies, uh, this would not be allowed and it can't be allowed.
7: Our next question goes to Elizabeth Kim from Goth- Gothamus.
0: Good morning, Mayor de Blasio. Hey, Elizabeth, how you been? I'm good.
8: I have a question about testing capacity for you and your health officials. Are, is Is the city concerned that there might be a shortage with either PCR tests, but also those self-administered rapid tests that um, I think might seem like they might be the future in testing?
0: Well, it's a great question, Elizabeth. I'll turn to Dr. Choksi. I will only say to you, um, the way we've set up testing so far, the different areas we need testing, we feel good about what we have uh, in place. Um, testing is, a, is always an important part of the strategy, but the most important part important part of the strategy is vaccination. Uh, vaccination is what's going to change everything. That's that's the leading edge of this strategy. And in that area, we have tremendous capacity uh, and tremendous reserves of vaccines. So that's where our focus has really been. But as to testing capacity, uh, Dr. Choksi, you want to speak to that?
9: Thank you, sir. Um, Briefly, we aren't seeing any evidence of uh, shortages with respect to uh, testing, either in terms of molecular, those are PCR tests, or uh, for antigen tests. We are monitoring this. We know that the demand for testing across the country um, has surged, as uh, many places are are seeing a surge in in cases uh, due to the Delta variant. So uh, this is something that we closely monitor. Um, but New York City is not, um, is not dealing with that at this moment. I will also add New York City, uh, the overall testing capacity for our city, thanks to the Test and Trace Corps um, as well as uh, our many partners across the healthcare infrastructure, remains uh, among the most robust in the entire world. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Go ahead, Elizabeth.
8: My second question is about Governor Hokel's announcement last week that she wants to start a task force to study NYCHA. I'm interested in what you think she can do immediately to help the housing authority.
0: I really appreciated when Governor Hokel acknowledged that her predecessor did essentially nothing to help uh, NYCHA, despite lots of bluster and lots of a tax on NYCHA, a tax on the city that almost nothing was done to actually help the people who lived in public housing. So I think acknowledgement is a great first act. And I believe she is sincere in her desire to help. I mean, what NYCHA constantly needs uh, is resources. And where there are state laws and rules that slow down the work, uh, we need uh, cooperation from the state. I wish I could articulately tell you about the maze of different regulations we deal with all the time and the different agencies involved that sometimes slow down the work of making NYCHA buildings better for their residents. But if the state said, hey, what's it gonna take? We just wanna get all the roadblocks out of the way and help you guys, there's a lot they could do. We'll have folks follow up with you on the details, but I'm I'm very, very happy she's focusing on it.
7: We have time for two more questions today. OUR NEXT QUESTION GOES TO BOB HENLEY FROM THE CHIEF LEADER.
0: Uh, YES, MR. MAYOR,
11: THANKS FOR TAKING THE CALL. Um, IN THE AFTER ACTION REPORT, WE CAN TELL uh, AS FAR AS LAST NIGHT'S EVENT THAT THERE WAS ABOUT AN HOUR AND A HALF WHERE THERE WAS NO COMMUNICATION FOR FOLKS WHO WERE CAUGHT BETWEEN TUNNELS. YOU MENTIONED BEFORE THAT PEOPLE SHOULD WAIT FOR THE PROFESSIONALS, THE POLICE AND FIRE. CERTAINLY, I'M SURE YOU WOULD ASSOCIATE WITH YOURSELF THE COMMENT. THEY SHOULD ALSO LISTEN TO THE CREWS. Uh, THIS IS AN IMPORTANT THING BECAUSE uh, as you mentioned, in the third rail is active, people are putting themselves at risk. Uh, one of the things that's happened is that over the years, the MTA has really been driving, trying to automate this function and try to uh, push for one-person crews. In a situation like this, where we have a disruption of, of, of service, where communication is critical, doesn't it show the importance of having more robust physical presence by the MTA on these trains as opposed to just automating it?
0: Yeah, it does, Bob, um, for sure. I mean, look, you're absolutely right. I want to thank you for the question and absolutely commend the men and women of the MTA. Um, you know, I wanted to first say the folks who work for me, uh, FDNY and NYPD, did really heroic, wonderful work. But uh, I want to give credit as well to everyone who worked for the MTA last night who did the work to, to protect people. And you're absolutely right, the train crews are right there. Uh, those are the first voices to listen to. New Yorkers need to listen to them. They're the experts. But I think you make a good point. It does speak to the fact uh, that we've got to think about safety first, and we've got to think about the kind of personnel we need to keep people safe. Go ahead, Bob.
11: Uh, some uh, subject matter experts about technology. Um, back when you were a council person, you, you were aware of this problem we've had with uh, emergency communications. It, we're on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 World Trade Center. Uh, All through your political career, you were holding the Bloomberg administration responsible for expenditure. There's been some sense from my sources of progress above ground about communications in these kinds of events, but subservices remained a problem, and the MTA has also spent all kinds of money here. Is it possible that your subject matter expert could conduct an independent investigation that looked at this issue of emergency communications in the event of these black swan events, which with global warming may be happening more frequently?
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what we need to do. I, there had, you have your historical perspective right. There were some real problems in the past with communication systems, uh, either just not working or different parts of our public safety apparatus not being able to communicate with each other. I think we have made a lot of progress, but I think there's definitely more to do. And you're right, these, these situations could get more complex going forward. So I'm going to have that analyzed by our team quickly. Uh, and see if there's additional steps we need to take. And if there are, we're gonna take them right away.
7: Our last question for today goes to Steve Burns from WCBS 880.
0: Hi, Mr. Mayor, how are you? Hey, Steve, how are you doing today?
12: I'm um, all right. I apologize for any background noise. I'm in uh, downtown Brooklyn on a bike at, at the moment. My first time calling in to you in transit, so I apologize.
0: That's how um, you're allowed, you're a busy man.
12: Uh, so first I wanted to go back to the court's question. Uh, I think I'm among the reporters still looking to find kind of a linear connection here between the lack of trials and public safety issues. I'm sure you're aware the, the court's OCA spokesman has uh, called the, the thing uninformed. Uh, he said when there are gun cases, uh, there are there is bail being set in the vast majority of them. So are you able to explain in clearer terms what this uh, kind of one plus one connection is between a lack of trials and public safety?
0: Absolutely. Um, the reality, Steve, is the whole criminal justice system affects what happens on the ground. The, when someone thinks about committing a crime Or commits a crime and then sees nothing happen, bluntly, it encourages more crime, and that's unacceptable. The fact is, if the court system, I'm always amazed when the people who speak on behalf of the court system say, it's okay, we're not having trials. That's basically what they're saying. It's okay. So I'm like, well, why do you exist then? If it's okay, you're not doing your job, then why do we need you? If I said to you, Steve, hey, you know what, I think NYPD should take a few days off, everyone go home, or FDNY go home, or uh, schools go home, you'd say you're out of your mind. So how are the courts saying that they don't need to function but it's okay? It's not okay. It's just not okay. I'm going to give you a couple other specifics, but I want to turn back to Natasha for a moment because she does this all day long, working with families, including families who are waiting for justice. I want you to hear the human consequence, what it means if courts are not functioning, therefore people who were wronged can't get justice. Natasha, please help people understand what that feels like.
5: Again, right, I talk to mothers all the time who are just waiting to get some type of closure, who have cases and have to wait until to where in 2021 till 2022 to go to trial why so long someone murdered this woman's son and now she has to wait for the courts to get their act together so she can get some type of justice that is so unfair people don't understand the painful effects of gun violence the trauma that families are left to deal with and all they are asking for is some type of closure and I think they're owed that.
0: And it's, please you know, go ahead. No,
5: it's a responsibility. You know, it's the court's responsibility to do their jobs. And I just want the mothers in my group, my support group, who have lost their sons or daughters to gun violence to
0: get the closures that they deserve. And, and Steve, again, I've said I appreciate the efforts the courts are making on gun violence. It took a while, but they did get there. We, you know, we were a much better place. But there's a host of other crimes. If you've been attacked and doesn't involve a gun, uh, if your house has been broken into it, we'll give you the, the breakout by category. There's so many things where people have been attacked and violated, and yet nothing is happening. And what the NYPD will tell you, and again, we'll have Commissioner Shea here later in the week, and he will go over this in detail, that they see the impact on the ground of a lack of consequences if folks who commit crimes think they're not going to see a courtroom for a long long time unfortunately encourages them to commit more crimes this is really basic stuff but i want to just go back to the central question where is the excuse for not doing this if the court system wants to say oh there's covid well guess what there's COVID everywhere but NYPD is functioning fdny is functioning schools are functioning We're doing what we're doing every day at City Hall. That's not an excuse, just fix it. But if you're not, if you literally have so much disrespect for your own criminal justice system that you don't think it matters if it functions, then maybe you shouldn't be working there would be my answer. Go ahead, Steve.
12: Appreciate that. Uh, On a separate topic and and where I'm actually en route to is Grand Prospect Hall. Uh, as As a native of Park Slope, I'm sure you're familiar with it. There's a kind of grassroots effort underway to try and save at least the facade, because it appears the inside has already been gutted uh, after this uh, sale a few months ago. A developer wants to turn it into apartments, apparently. Uh, so I wanted to see if you have any Grand Prospect Hall memories, and if there's anything on the city side that might be able to happen, uh, if there is any interest in keeping this building alive.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Steve. This is kind of painful to me. Um, yeah if you're, if you're from Brooklyn, particularly my part of Brooklyn, you have Grand Prospect Hall memories and, of course, the legendary ad about making all your dreams come true. Who could forget that? One of the great ads of all time. Uh, it's, you know, that wonderful family that owned it, unfortunately, um, lost the patriarch of the family to COVID. And, and it's been downhill since then. I think it's a great question whether the facade could be saved. I certainly would love to see that happen. I'm going to see what the city can do to make that happen. Uh, I remember going there for so many community events, and it was a place people cherished. It it was part of history, and you felt a connection to just all the history of Brooklyn, all the families who had been there before. People loved being there, and it's very strange to me. And I think, except for COVID, this never would have happened, meaning not only would the family not have lost their loved one, but people would have been paying a lot more of attention, and there would have been an outcry Um, and I'm just shocked. I didn't know until very recently uh, that so much had been lost there, so it's real sad. But if there's a way to save the facade and some of the history, we should certainly try and do that, and I'll I'll be working on that right away. And listen, everybody, uh, as we conclude today, again, uh, what it comes down to, we see in communities all over this city uh, people standing up, doing the right thing, doing right by each other, protecting each other, You heard it today uh, with the leaders of the Caribbean community doing the right thing to protect members of their community, even at a time they'd love to be celebrating, but putting safety first. You've heard about Natasha's amazing work protecting people, helping people go through the biggest challenges, but there for them. That's who New Yorkers are. And I keep coming back to the thing New Yorkers should be proud of is how many New Yorkers made the decision to go get vaccinated to protect each other. That's a beautiful act. Anyone who goes and gets vaccinated, you're helping everybody else, your family, your neighbors, everyone. So please, if you haven't done it yet, no better time than today. Go out and get vaccinated. Thank you.